Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, uh, we're going to get to the Eagles game last night in a second. We're going to get to our interview with Bob Stoops in a little bit. But I want to start with the fact that you and I have survived our Blue Coach tryout and are here in the studio. How do you feel now? Tired. <laughs> Still. And, and it was from last weekend. It was last weekend. Yes. And I, and I have a brace on my knee. Yeah. And, and I got... Uh, I can't. I'm still taking Advil. <laughs> but, so I'm going to share look. a text message conversation. Okay. That we had uh, the day afterwards for our listeners. Uh, I texted Jeff, "Are you alive?" Jeff texted me back, "Barely." Jeff texted me back, "Are you moving?" I texted Jeff back, "Slowly." That's how our Sunday. Nothing's went. changed. That's how our Sunday went. Right. Uh, and the rest of the week. Kudos to the Bluecoats for, uh, in all seriousness, running another very professional open tryout. It was a fascinating experience to go through, separate from the exhausting physical, mental thing for playing, to watch these players. As the oldest participant of, of a G League tryout. So we questioned that before we, we yeah. got there. Uh-huh. Um, you were the oldest participant there that day. Uh-huh. I, on the other hand, was not the shortest participant there that day, which I know disappoints you. I know it disappoints you for our listeners. There is video floating out there of my embarrassing ability not to dribble through my legs and Jeff's ability to stand very tall while he gets posterized with somebody dunking over him. Those both exist. So there is proof that it happened. Um, what are your thoughts on what you went through? Uh, besides the aches and the pains? Yeah, no, let's get past it, the fact that we're old and suck. Let's let's go to the fact of what we saw, because that was the whole reason of us doing it. We didn't go into it thinking we were going to make the team or prove anything to ourselves other than please don't pull something or hurt something. Well, I, well, I learned um, Connor Johnson is a really good guy, but he can also be really tough, as he yelled at me, because um, I was screwing up the drills. Did you want to uh, cry? Uh, no, I didn't want to cry. I just can't. What, what I learned is that basketball IQ is a real thing. Um learning these guys you know they would give them drills they'd give us drills and they pick up on it immediately and they're not that simple we would not (laughs) i was i was massively screwing them up and i was in the group trying out before the head coach and coach johnson lets you know that you were massively screwing that's right so there is also a video of him grabbing me by my shirt and basically (laughs) dragging me into the position that i'm supposed to be in um, but he's he, gonna, he was, he's going to join us coming up in a few weeks, he, and he, he will critique both of our performances or lack thereof. Yes, he he was he was a very good sport about. It. He is a really good coach, by the way. His his communication skills are very good. Uh, the coolest part to me was I told you I got there early, and so I got to see all the different people that, arriving. That was your big victory. <laughs> yeah, right. I got a good parking spot. That was my victory. No. I, you got to see all the different ways that people came, the getting dropped off from their rides, coming out the subway, taking a taxi, taking an Uber, riding a bike, all with their basketball and their shoes on, ready to play and chase a dream. And to me... Yeah, people brought their basketballs. They did. They brought uh-huh. their stuff. There were some people that had family members there. You there. were in a group with a guy who came in from Ireland. I was, I was in a group with a guy who flew in for Australia. I mean, these people, so this was their dream. So here's my beef. Yeah. We walked in and they said... We've divided you up by skill set. Right. Which clearly was not true because the person standing next to me was 7'2 and played Division three college <laughs> ball. So that clearly was not the maybe, way that people were divvied maybe, up. Maybe they thought that you were much better than you appeared to be. No, clearly. They, they've met me. Uh-huh. <laughs> they would never suspect anything <laughs> like that. 
but it was it was an experience to go through and uh, we, we thank them for it um for the fun that we had we we tried to take it seriously and not make a mockery of it because they were letting us be a part of it right but it was really pretty eye-opening and yeah i um, had a guy yelling at me yeah yeah because it wasn't it, me no no um and you yeah, know i was not to, when we, i was messing up his drill you know i it what what bothered me was was more they were screwing up their chance. Yeah, I'm screwing up their chance. I'm to, there apologizing to, to guys because right. I'm trying to make the entry pass, and he's being judged on his ability to set a screen and roll down. <laughs> and it's like, sorry, I gave you a bad entry. My bad, bud. <laughs> and and then I, you know, then I played in the game, and you know, he kept passing me the ball, and I was open, and I would pass it again, and he's like, if I pass you the ball, you better shoot it. Yeah, there was no way you were putting yeah, up a like, shot that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I ended up putting you, up two shots. You, and then after more that, I was about, too tired. You were more worried about your heart rate at that point. Yeah. Um, we did talk to the trainers to find out how to survive this. Uh, we, we talked to... And I learned something. What did you learn? Which is you, you're supposed to stretch afterwards. That's yeah. the key. And what do we do? We did not stretch afterwards. Well, I did. And I did think you? that's why I'm moving better Well, that's you because are. you didn't play in the game. That's a detail that is not need to be discussed on the air. <laughs> um, look, at some point going through it, you realize that... When you joke about you are better at holding a mic than a basketball, mm -hmm. it's not really a joke. It's a fact. <laughs> and so um, I just decided that I would stay out of everybody's way and be a mascot well, look, at you, some point. You, well, yeah, and Cody wasn't there. No, he wasn't. That was so a big they needed somebody, and I was there. I'm well, you know, what, you know what they should do during these open tryouts? They should have an open tryout for, for like the, the backup mascot. Friend of Cody? Yeah. See what you can do about that. But, you know, look, you, kn you know my feelings about booing. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, unless like Ryan Braun comes to town, then I'm good with it. I really thought you were going to come over and boo me. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole team of people to go over and boo you. Yeah, I thought that was that. Uh, but but uh, you know anybody who sit who sits there and yells, one of these guys sucks. Just go out and play that sport for a little bit and realize that every guy that we were with trying out was somebody that was talked about in their town as like this they were the superstar. They were the person. They right. were the best player there. And in that gym that day, they were just another guy. There mm -hmm. was people from international ball. There were former NBA first-round picks. There was a first former round NBA first-round pick yeah. who brought his own trainer there. Um, Jeff and, and I did and not still look pretty weak. Jeff and I did not bring our own trainers <laughs> there. Uh, we relied on the actual trainers that the blue coats had. Uh, we brought we brought a teenager to to, to videotape it, do slow mo, so that we could be mocked to for all time to document right. the disaster for posterity. Any final thoughts on our trial with the blue coats? Other than thank you to them, they get started in a few weeks. The Sixers are going to go play down at the Fieldhouse for their blue white scrimmage this upcoming week. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, if you haven't been there, uh, it's they're doing all the construction to make it. You know, they have the waterfront coming along now with the bridge there, and the, well, the construction is, for the the field house is, is done, done and, and it's a beautiful facility. If you it, this is, I mean, I don't know how many people they're going to cram in there for this, but it it's going to be packed, and that place gets loud. It should be fun, yeah, yeah. Jeff. You get headaches when it gets loud in there. No, I, I got I got earbuds. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Uh, were you able to uh, stay awake last night I was. for the whole game? Yeah. Was that the best Thursday night game you've seen in a while? Yeah, but it's the only Thursday night game I've seen <laughs> in a while. <laughs> Eagles pulled out a gutty 34-27 win over the Packers. Look, 2-2 two and two looks a lot better than 1-3. and three. Uh, There's no doubt about that. I didn't see that win coming. Did you? 
Did you? So did it's you? really funny. I've been telling people all week that I can't give them a statistical argument or reason why I think the Eagles will win, mm-hmm. but I just have a feeling that the Eagles will win. And so I was telling people that, and so there is proof that I told people that, but I, I don't know why. I thought they would win just because nobody thought they would win. Well, and but le- leading up to the game, everybody was talking about how the Green Bay defense was much improved. The Green Bay uh, defense, when it came to run defense, was awful. They had given up awful. They had given up thirty-five total points, I believe, or thirty-four total points in the season, and gave up thirty-five. Yeah, to but Eagles. to who? That's. I mean, that's really the question. Who are they giving up their points to? I get that. I mean, to me, the, to me, the the big stat of of the game was that the Eagles actually ran the ball thirty-three times and passed the ball twenty-seven times. Think That's about that. When is the last time the Eagles ran the ball more than passing the ball? Under Peterson, under Chip Kelly, under well, Andy Reid? not Reed. only did they run it more, they ran it for more yards than they had passing yards, Well, you, too. Know, you know I've been screaming about Jordan Howard. All, I know. All season I've been screaming that he – and look, I understand that the analysis of Jordan Howard is that he's missing cutback holes, but when they got him, I assume they knew that he was a strictly north-to-south runner. And if you know that, then you have to play to his strengths. You have your guy that can be cut, doing cutbacks all the time. But Jordan Howard is strictly just find me a hole and I'll go plow through it. Yeah, no And doubt. that's what they did yesterday. And look, he got two touchdowns. I was kind of jealous of a lot of my friends who were there. I did not realize I would know so many different people going to the game that were posting pictures yeah. from... In the stands or... Well, you know, is that one of like your bucket list things? Yes. Lambo yeah, is definitely too. a bucket list. Uh, just, yes. It's, I want to go I, there. You know, I don't know if I'd want to go see my own team. Because you don't think you'd enjoy it as much? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like to be in... I don't like to be watching my team in another building, and especially football where people get a little too over the top. I'd like to just go see a game. All right, let's... And, and you and I, t- I think we talked about this, is like, you want to go when it's warm. Yes, I want to go when it's freezing. You're nuts. Well, don't you? It's all part of the story. I mean, if you're going to go to Lambeau Field, you're supposed to go to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. I'll take the mild to cooling tundra of Lambeau Field and be just then just go to Holland and go dance around in the flowers. It's not 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 Lambeau at that point. But all right, so I want to go through the good and the bad. The concern at the start is again a way too slow start to the game. They've got 10 first-quarter points in four games. They all came last week in week three. Well, they also gave they're, up a quick, quick touchdown, right? one of six teams that have trailed by at least 10 points in every game this season. The other five teams have a combined record of 1-13-1. You can't keep tempting fate the way that they are. So the slow starts happened again. I looked So at, what do you do about it? Well... We'll we'll get there. No, I want to know. Looked, though, like they the were going to be suspense is killing they, it me. It looked like they were going to be blown out of the building, right? To start with mm-hmm. the defensive backs getting beat, Darby was out for the game. What was your thought as they were driving to potentially go up fourteen nothing before they settled for a field goal? Oh, this game is over. I get to go to bed early. You, that's what yeah. I, I knew that you were like planning your bedtime routine Espe- at that point because because the, the the defensive backfield for the Eagles is is just a horrible. Yeah, I it mean is. it was a horrible before the injury. It's basically the, the game, Phillies bullpen. It's got a, it's got a million injuries and a boy, bunch of holes. Well, you really went there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all right, we'll start with the offense. Eagles offense has scored over thirty points in two of their first four games. 
Wentz had an interesting night, tough start. He was like two for five for like 14 yards at the start. Finished 16 to 27 for 160 yards, three touchdowns. The longest completion of the night. This is this is my 20 yards. Th- that's my biggest concern. And, and the question is, is how long is Deshaun Jackson going to be out? Because right now they don't have an option to spread the field unless you're going to say Aguilar is the option. Or unless you move Sanders out and have him A- Aguilar, deep, right? Aguilar was on the field for 90% of the offensive snaps. He got targeted one time for zero. Yeah, I was going to say, how could you tell he was out there in 90% so of the So he's snaps? had a tough week. Yeah. <laughs> Since we were last on the air, he dropped a potential game-winning catch. Uh, I know what you're going to do now. There yeah. was a gentleman who See, I don't like this. rescued a baby uh-huh. and when asked about it said, we don't drop it like Aguilar, <laughs> uh, who was here in the studio. Uh, I, I, really, this I, don't, week. I don't get why anybody wants to interview this guy. I thought Nelson Aguilar handled it very well, saying I'd like to find the guy and offer him tickets because he's a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell he was a little frustrated being asked about it again by the media afterwards mm-hmm. in his locker. Uh, look, Aguilar is Aguilar. He is not a number one receiver when he's put in that position. He cannot do that. He's a complimentary receiver at that. I believe I saw something that said like this year the Eagles drop rate is one of the highest in the NFL. Well, that wouldn't if not the highest. That in wouldn't the NFL. surprise me at all. That, that's um, a, that's a real concern because you were supposed uh, like Jeffrey. He's supposed to be a, a glue in his hands kind of guy. He had some drops. You yeah, could, you could tell he wasn't a hundred percent though. But the fact that he was out there was important. Yeah, but you you can't drop the passes. No, you no. really can't. I mean, if and Wentz look, is putting s- him in the spot, what do you what is he supposed to do? Well, you're going to get your quarterback killed because na- then he's going to start thinking about it. And if well, he starts thinking about it, then he holds the ball longer. So now if he holds into, the balls longer, and then he's going to get drilled. Now you're into the conversation I hate, where people blame Wentz for things. And no, I'm not like, blaming Wentz. No, 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 not you blaming Wentz. But yeah. it's like, what's he supposed to do? Catch the ball too? Like there were seven drops in the Detroit game. There were drops last night. He is not a perfect quarterback. He was high at times. He was overexcited to start the game. There are times where he's not as accurate as you'd like. But well, he this is as close to home he's he's playing. Right? He's given the best chance for this team to win in each of the games this season. At mm-hmm. the end of the game, the starts uh, questions about, but. That's a different story. You talk about the Packers defense. They entered the night with 13 sacks in three games. After what we saw out of Isaac Sayamalu the week before, this performance was amazing to me. The Eagles didn't give up a single sack to Green Bay. They only allowed two quarterback hits the whole game. They went a lot. You know why? They had two tight ends. And they ran a lot. Yes. Uh, There wasn't an opportunity to sack him that much. That combination of them running out of the two tight ends works very well. Goddard is basically an extra offensive lineman in terms of a blocker. I know people were upset at his dropped catch the week before. Uh, you know, I'm upset about that too. Had a big catch coming back last night. Is there such thing night. as a dropped catch? All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, who invited the dictionary guy here? Is that like jumbo shrimp? Boy, Jeff just brought a lot to the show there with that comment. Gotcha. <laughs> Uh, Packers do have one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL. They allowed 5.3 yards of carry in that game. That is, for the Eagles, just something we don't ever see. No. You're, okay, so coming off of last week, uh, Sanders fumbled the ball twice. Lots of concern about him. Do you feel better about him this week, starting to see the running lanes holding on to the ball? Holding on to the ball is a big thing. It is. Uh, and his yards per carry were good. I, I mean, I believe he had 11 or 13 rushes. That That's a good number. I think using each of those backs to their strength was very good. I did see a couple times where both running backs bobbled the ball. 
Yes. And it did concern. There was one. There was one pitch to Jordan Howard where it looked like he was just going to drop the ball, and I wasn't sure if that was going to be considered a lateral or not. And there was one run by Sanders where he looked like he was falling to the ground, and the yep. ball was uh, mm-hmm. coming out. Look, in terms of usage, last week Jordan Howard played one fewer offensive snap than Miles Sanders. This week he played eleven more snaps and saw eighteen total touches to Sanders' eleven. So I think that's the balance that you would rather see at this point in terms of the running back rotation. Am I correct? Well, I, not just the running back rotation, but just the whole offense. I, I, I think that the Eagles need to cut down on their passing, not, not just because I'm old and that it's old school <laughs> before you say it. I just think this team has the ability to run the ball. And they should I take advantage Johnson of it. I think Johnson said that after the game. We found our personality. Well, that's because well, offensive linemen like the to block becomes, for running. Does Doug stick with it? No. That's, you know he's not. And the Jets are a perfect defense uh-huh. to stick with it on if you're going to when you play them in 10 days. Right. Um, you know, we'll see what weapons they have back. Do they have Deshaun Jackson back in 10 days? I probably wouldn't rush boy, him. Boy, you got to hope they do. Okay, I mean not for the Jets. I, I think they can, I think they can get past the Jets without him. I but don't after that, rush him because we say we need him, and then it's one of those injuries that lingers because it's not actually healed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how much I want to push him right to get back up there. Uh, th- watching this team is very stressful for, um, for everybody. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers combined 468 total yards of offense. Not quite ideal, right, Jeff? I mean, he is one of the best quarterbacks in football, so there is that. Um, but some of our defensive backs, I get it, they're backups. So I'm, I'm looking at the schedule. Yeah. So you got, the, you got the Jets in 10 days on the 6th. Okay. Do you keep, let's say Jackson is healthy enough, but could keeping him out for the extra couple days would be extremely helpful. Then you got at Vikings, at Cowboys, at Bills. See, that's what I want. I give him 17 more days off yeah. to, to recover fully. And then I have him ready for the for that stretch that's of a, games. That's a tough three game road trip. It is, and nobody thought the Bills would be as tough as they are, but they're playing good football right now. Well, plus you don't know what kind of weather you're getting. No, I no. mean, gra- granted, it's only the end of October at that point, but it's still Buffalo. Uh, people get on July. Jim Schwartz for blitzing and pressure a lot. It didn't work last night. <laughs> well, yeah, but look, the pressure they got, but the blitzing. Rodgers got it out too fast and they got killed a lot. Right, of time but the, the but the problem is 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 Schwartz is doing that. I don't think because he's being stubborn. I'm I think he's doing it to try to cover for the holes that they have. I mean, yes, it was good to have Grugier Hill get back yesterday, but you have just a sieve in the backfield. You do. There, there is, and that was before Maddox went down. That is a really bad defensive backfield. Yes, there are lots of problems with it. Sidney uh, Jones has not turned out to be. No, and, what they and thought he you know, depending on what his injury is, he could be out for a little bit now. And Dar- uh, and Darby's out, and and the question is, even is, when he's in, though, well, he's that's it. Basically, got a you know bullseye on his back to be targeted. I when mean, he's last in there. last Sunday when he went out of the game, the defense got better. Yes. Now that may have just be a short term effect, but he was he's just getting burned way too much. Jalen Mills isn't eligible to come back until week seven. He hasn't played since last October, so who knows what you'll get. Craven LeBlanc not eligible to come back till week eight. Uh, do the Eagles make a trade? Oh, uh, here you go. Do they? Mm, I wonder who you're thinking about. Do they call? Look, this was a weird week with rumors out there of Zach Ertz being offered in a deal. I have no way to know whether these for things. For what? Zach Ertz and, and uh pick for uh, Jalen Ramsey. 
No, I would not do that. You I, would? Would you do that? No, I wouldn't. Why would you? I would give, do picks. Why? Why would you ever give up? I wouldn't give Zach up. Zach Ertz is one of the best top three tight ends in the NFL. I would not give up right? Zach Ertz, but I would give up. I I have gone back Craven and forth. LeBanc? I would give up two first round picks. I think because two. So here's the thing: you can't do that. One isn't going to get it. How long's his contract? Uh, you basically he's like 24 years old, and you could have him for like five or six years. You could eventually sign him, and yeah, no. How many on his current deal? How much does it? Is this not, his last year? I'm not 100. They probably renegotiated yeah, him he's, coming. He's here. just another head case. I get that, but superstars but, are head cases, and the Eagles not all of them. The, oftentimes, the Eagles, if they play, if they bring him in and they make the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. That number one pick next year is basically a second round pick. If they play far into the playoffs the year after, again, you're talking end of first round. Do you're you not think talking Jaylen about Jalen Ramsey is is the one piece they need to make a Super Bowl to give up first round picks? No, but Jalen Ramsey means that when all of your other guys come back, they bump down one level, and when they come back, I think you have much more talent. He just, there. you know, I just he's just one of those guys. I it, just sit there in the pen. He he called out sick with a cold on Monday this week and left his team because he wants to get traded. I didn't say he is a bad teammate, I and did. and it's not just that. This is a guy who runs his mouth all the time. You know how people become good teammates? How winning? It cures a lot of things. Oh, I don't think I don't think for Ramsey it's going to be about money. Uh, it's going and, and if he, and if he and gets here, and, they, and he will come and he will play and he will lock it down. Okay, so what what ha- what happens? He comes here. And and I don't even know if the Eagles can negotiate with him. I don't even know the if the season. Jaguars want to trade him anymore. He wants out, but it seems like the Jaguars want to keep him. I think they'd be crazy to trade him. But if I'm the Eagles, you're well, looking the Jaguars. at you're looking at guys in your defensive backfield dropping like flies. You're thinking your offense is going to get healthy and you can put up 30 plus points on the regular. You need a defense that can hold them under 30 points. He gives you a lockdown corner that takes that whole side of the field away, and now you can play whatever defense you want with your Sidney Joneses and your Avante Maddoxes, assuming they come back healthy, and your Jalen Mills. They all become more depth guys as opposed to focus guys. Same thing when Aguilar's there versus when Jeffrey and Jackson are there. Aguilar's an okay third option. He's not an okay first option. I think Sidney Jones is a better rotation guy than he is guy out on the island trying to lock somebody down. He's just I, not there I, yet. I, I just... I actually think Russell Douglas you know is their I, best defensive You know defensive how I feel right about now. bad locker room guys, and he's he just seems like a bad locker room guy. You know who's a good guy in the locker room, apparently, but a bad guy on the field? Who? Sendejo. <laughs> <laughs> he is not Do you actually know that he's a good guy in the locker room? I don't know anything about it, but all I know is that I've seen <laughs> you his just play. Needed, you needed to shoehorn that I've in, I've seen you? his play on the field, yeah. and I only hope he's a good guy in the locker room because he's not on it for his play on the field right now. Uh, he's taken out more of his own players than he has. <laughs> that was an ugly hit, by the way, on Avante Maddox. Uh, it was. Friendly fire there. Scary at the end there. Um, it sounds like he's okay, though. He was he was tweeting today that, that things seem to be better. Um, those things can be scary and turn out to be nothing more than a stinger, but let, can, let's just hope he's okay. Can I give you my – any other thoughts on the game before we move on a little bit? On that game, no. Okay. Can I give you my complaint and then my confession? Yeah. All right, my complaint. Charging a timeout to a I team. I want the confession I'll first, get there. but go ahead. Charging a timeout to a team when a player has a head injury and yeah. is potentially unconscious on the field is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. For a league, it's that, close. For a league that yeah. talks about player safety, mm-hmm. you penalize the team for trying to take care of the player. Yeah. 
That's ridiculous. Oh, makes perfect Dude sense. Dude left on a stretcher, uh-huh. and they penalized them for it. That is asinine. I'm, that's, I'm oh. there. I'm there. Wow. Confession. You're hot. Confession. And I don't mean in a good you, way. You were right, yeah. <laughs> and I was wrong. You can clip Wait that a now second. to save that for later on the other side. Mark I that down at the 424 mark. About wanting more replay to get things right. You don't have to say what you were wrong about. It was just say I was wrong. Well, I know you're going to cut that out anyway. Uh, so now I'm going to tell the rest of my story. Uh-huh. And you can use that clip. I gave it to you. Uh, pass this, is interfer- the, this is the segment where I can just sit back and do nothing. Pass interference being reviewable has only confirmed to me that nobody has any clue what pass interference actually is. It is ridiculous. You can't tell from play to play what they're going to call, what they're not going to call. And now they review with a microscope, and then they're not consistent when they I'm, do it. I'm loving it. Yeah, it keep going. It's I, I keep can't. Going. I can't with it. I, I just so so now you're with me that we don't need replay. Not in general, don't need replay, but well, I don't what, need that what's, replay. You don't need the pass interference replay. I don't need the ability to challenge a pass interference. If yeah. they're going to get it wrong, they're going to get it wrong. I'd rather them get it wrong the first could time and not make could me we wait slow, 10 minutes could, to Yeah, see I was going to say, could we slow the game down anymore? This Look, is not... See, here's this is what I don't understand about pass... Is it conclusive or not? If it's conclusive, it doesn't take 10 minutes. You watch it, you see no, it, it's it, conclusive. It, no, no, call. but see, here's the problem. It shouldn't be whether or not it's conclusive or not. You have somebody in a booth in New York who's sitting there watching these plays, other referees, right? That's the plan, okay? So it should be as simple as they already know, once the play is over, what they think it is. And it should just be, you throw the flag, they make the call. It doesn't matter what it was on the field. It should be that simple. Why why are we worrying about whether or not it's conclusive for overturning it? If you call, if you ask for a replay and you're willing to burn your potential timeout, then go to the booth and they decide what it's going to be, and it doesn't matter what the call on the field was. Do you feel because, be, well, no, I don't because it's 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 ten more as you now said. Now I got you worked up. Ten, yeah, look what you did. I was just going to sit here and listen to I was right. You, you were, were trying wrong. to calmly go along with this, and I, now all I, of a sudden I, you're heated. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I woke up. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Glad I could wake you up during I, the show. I don't understand. You know, we start this. at four o'clock. If you want yeah. to set your alarm a little early to wake up, <laughs> so that you know it doesn't take till halfway through the show for you to join us, get involved, engaged. You know, just you could set the alarm. Bring one in next week. Just letting you know. But it it doesn't make any sense that it takes that long to make these replay calls. Well, it does because they're looking for something that they can't clearly see. So the rule as written is just not working correctly. Anyway. So then instead of looking at 17 different ways, just say you got 30 seconds, people in the booth to make a call. If you can't make it that quick, then then that's it. You're done. It just means that okay. game, games are going to go even later. Let's just well, that's it. They're becoming college football games now. They're no longer, you know, two hours and forty-five minutes to three hours. Now they're going to three fifteen, yeah, three and three, a half, three twenty. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, it, it's enough. Did you see the Wall Street Journal story on the Eagles this week? the The title was "The NFL Team Run by Women." It was a really interesting look at how many women they have in the organization. So, n- nearly half of the fans in the NFL are women, but 35% of jobs in the league office are held by women. Uh-huh. That number drops to 29% when it comes to senior executives. The number is even lower at the team level where 28% of franchise employees are women. The Eagles top advisors, more than half of them are women. Do you know what their turning point was to hiring more women? Christina Laurie? Chip Kelly. Why? Because when they interviewed Chip Kelly in 2013, they gathered in a gr- in a room and realized it was all men. 
no women. And they needed to change something. And so they started bringing more women in. And now they Wait, have a... Wait, so you're telling me Chip Kelly said this? No. Oh, they okay. realized all when right. they were doing the interviews that all of the people doing the interview of Chip Kelly mm -hmm. were men. They didn't have any diverse opinions in the room. Right. They wanted to go to a culture that was more inclusive. And so they widened their circle of decision makers, which now has led to this culture of more than half of the top executives are women. Look, I, I think it says a lot about Jeffrey Lurie and the way that he runs his organization. I think it is an overstatement to say that women are running the team. Howie Roseman's running the team, well, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. But Howie's running the NFL side, but I don't think he's running the marketing PR side. I don't think, like, Howie's not, Howie's doing the football operations right. and overall mm -hmm. general manager. He's not... You know, there's there's lots of other parts. Right, of the, business. The, the the business is being run. The team is not being run. But I mean, we, but, we just but talk it's impressive about that that they're that the Eagles are able to do that. And Jeffrey Lurie's been progressive in a lot of things. He he is not he's not just been your typical owner. He's been somebody who's been in the forefront of doing good things, without a doubt. And so. with and without doing them like Jerry Jones in your face kind of stuff. I just wanted to kind of point it out. A bunch of other good stories this week. But. Since, since you did point it out, I think it is worth noting that Chip Kelly is now at UCLA and is not setting the world on fire there either. They won last week. It turns though, out he's really not the genius everybody thought he was. They won last week though. Okay. So. It's a it's a win for them. They're struggling. Do you think Chip Kelly will be with the with UCLA after the season? No, I don't. I don't either. I think, and it won't be because somebody's clamoring for him to come. But back I think somebody NFL. else will hire him and give him a chance, right? Because uh, Northeast Arkansas A yeah. and M or yeah, something. Coaches like that. always get a chance. Right. Why don't we hit the break when we come back? We'll uh, get our interview going with Bob Stoops. Talk about a little college football and much more. Stick with us. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined. To overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the heart of sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the heart of sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. are here with author of the new book, No Excuses, The Making of a Head Coach, uh, co-authored with Gene Wojciechowski. Uh, Bob Stoops, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for the time and for joining us today. So, so Bob, uh, you're, you're... We, had a, we had a chance to, to read some of this book, and, and uh, it's amazing to, 
to have somebody go through the behind the scenes of of the making of a head coach and in your case a national championship winning head coach tell us about the, your beginnings uh, what your your background growing up in Youngstown Ohio uh, how it helped you become the person that you are and the coach that you became you know just growing up in a steel mill town in a you know a small little a-frame house three-bedroom home with six children and four boys us four boys all were in the same bedroom you can only imagine the chaos that created <laughs> but uh yeah. but you know just uh you know just just a great neighborhood some to this day my some of my best friends are guys i grew up with and we stay in touch you know a neighborhood that there'd be eight ten of us you know guys in the neighborhood we'd walk a block or two and We'd go over and play football against the other block, get their guys, and or basketball, whatever it might be. But um, it was just very close, very tight, you know, and very ethnic as well. So it was uh, it was a great place to grow up down there in Youngstown. How did you get involved in football, you and and the many members of your family? You know, as much as anything, uh, my father was a not only a football coach in the fall. He was the head baseball coach. He was also a great baseball player. So my whole li- young life growing up, my father would play in the one double a- the double A leagues all summer. So we'd paint houses growing up, and that was kind of how we earned our. Rather than mowing grass, we we helped paint houses with my father. He'd come home, rub off some paint from his face and hands, and he'd he'd go play baseball. And he, you know, and we were always allowed to go with them. So we'd be bat boys or, you know, he always took us. In the winters, he would referee basketball games at the high school for intramural games, so we were on the court all the time. So what I'm saying is we were around some kind of on a court or on a field virtually every day of our life uh, growing up. So I, I think it just came to us naturally that we were so used to being around sports and competition that we just gravitate to it. So I actually spent a few years in Iowa City, beautiful place. How does a 5'11", 165-pound defensive back find a home at the University of Iowa, become a four-year starter, and name team captain in 1982? How does that happen? You know, it just I got lucky that they gave me a chance. Bob Cummings was the head coach that gave me a chance, and he was a Youngstown guy. And I think that's probably why he gave me a chance to, to go there and play. And then, uh, I, you know, I almost ruined it. I wanted to leave there after my first semester, and I was all set to quit or transfer. And I, I brought it up one too many times when I was home on Christmas break. And my father, I was out helping him clean the yard. I, he, he, he gave me, I can't say him, he gave me a few choice words and a whole bunch of tough love, and I realized, uh-oh, I'm going back. Uh, he, he wasn't having it. Um, you know, he, he, he figured I hadn't given it a big enough, a good enough shot. And I was going back. And fortunately I went back and as you said, earned a starting job and, you know, Bob, five years coaching, uh, afterwards, you know, Bob, you, you bring up an interesting point about, you know, you, you thought about leaving, you, you got some tough love, you stuck it out and it worked out for you. Uh, players today, you know, we've we've talked to the the AD of the University of Michigan and some other coaches about the transfer portal. 
What what do you think about the transfer portal and how that that hurts or helps student athletes? Well, I don't know. I think too many times players give up on it too soon, where they're at, what might happen for them, you know, to give it more of a shot. And uh, and the other part is, you know, I, I don't think it's it's great that if you got players jumping from school to school every year without it, without having the city year. I was always good with the rule, if you transfer, you sit a year, and then you can play. And I'm also all for if a player's graduated, he can do whatever he wants. And because, you know, to me, that's the, the first purpose you should be going to college is to graduate. So so once you have, I, I believe in you ought to be able to go where you want. Um, so anyhow, we'll see. They, they've got a lot to keep figuring out. Well, you stuck it out. You went back. You, you had your playing career, and then – you had the opportunity under Coach Hayden Fry to be on a staff that was amazing. You had Kirk Ferentz, Barry Alvarez, Bill Snyder. What was it like for you to to be coached by the coaches, basically, to learn how to be one? Well, it was great. I had the best, uh, the greatest learning experience there. Like you said, Dan McCarney was also on that staff, became an excellent head coach. So those guys were really mentors to me. Uh, particularly the, the defensive guys that always, uh, you know, getting their arm around me and really being great friends to me and mentors. And uh, same with, you know, Kirk Ferentz. Uh, I was just at Iowa a few weeks ago. I was an honorary captain. But Kirk was a young assistant coach, and he was great to, uh, to me as well. So, anyway, I, I've always been blessed, uh, felt blessed that I was around all of those guys. You've also always been someone willing to, to go build. Obviously, we'll get to that in your, your new career right now in a little bit. But, you know, you went to Kansas State and built with Bill Snyder. You went with Steve Spurrier, became that defensive coordinator, and then went and built with Oklahoma. Were you somebody that sought out those challenges, or were those just the opportunities that presented themselves with these fantastic coaches to go with? Yeah, they were just opportunities that presented themselves. You know, when I went to Iowa – and when Hayden Fry got there, they hadn't had a winning season in like 17 years. And then we were in uh, the Rose Bowl in, in Coach Fry's third year, my third year with him. And then Coach Snyder, same thing. They were so down. They hadn't won a game in three years when we arrived there. And then, you know, we, we rebuilt. We built that program. I wouldn't say rebuilt. We built it. And so we were used to doing it. You know, the big break was going to Florida. They were already built. They had just played for the national championship the year before. So I walked into a great situation there. And then Oklahoma was really down when we arrived. Uh, you know, they hadn't been to a bowl game in five years, I believe. And so, you know, our, our self-image was really down, and we just started rebuilding it. One of the things that we talk about on this show is, is how – coaches and athletes can impact society and community and one of the things that comes across in your book is is your work with the children's hospital in oklahoma the fact that you went there it wasn't publicized but you went there every thursday and talked to the kids how did you get involved in that and and what was that experience like for you you know um i got involved initially in my first year as a little bit too spread on what i'm trying to do with charitable work because you want to give back to the community. And I just found, I met uh, Kay Tanger, the, a woman that continues to go up there. And I, I met her at somewhere at a function. She told me about the Children's Hospital. 
and I started to go up. And once I did, I was, you know, I was hooked. I've got so many great relationships from the kids and their families uh, that from going up there through the years. And, and I really found it, you know, as hard as it is sometimes, and there's so many, you know, tough and hard stories. There's also ones that, that are great where kids have recovered and, and, uh, you know, it, it just, it gave me a great perspective as well. If I ever thought I had a tough weekend and you felt sorry for yourself that the sports writers and everyone are beating you up because you lost a game, all you got to do is go up there. And in the first couple of minutes, you realize you better shape, you know, you better shape up. This is what, this is what real life tough situations are. And these are real battles that, that, that these kids and their families are fighting and and so I would just do anything I could to to get them to have a you know to enjoy being around me and get them to laugh and uh, you know to get their mind off it for a little while as much as I could. Is this something that you also encourage your players to do? Absolutely. I, I there were many occasions where I brought them whoever could go with me. Um, wasn't always the easiest because of classes for them and everything else. But uh, but on occasion we we would and and I, we always had a Christmas party sometime uh, before we left for the bowl game where I'd bring up uh, you know six seven eight players and they they'd have a little Christmas party for us where they got to be around them as well. I found it interesting uh, in the book you, you sort of contrasted Bob Stoops the person versus Bob Stoops the public figure. Uh, I'm a media guy in general, very interested by it in the changing media landscape can you talk about how important that was to keep those personas separate and what the difference was between the public person that we saw and the the person that you are yeah you know i was just always aware when i walked in our building step in front of a crowd that's ou people or represent oklahoma somewhere or get in front of my players you've got to you've got to be that guy you've got to give you know be that get that persona, get that aura out there and show that confidence and, and on and on. And that, but when I'm not in that position and I'm out with just friends or my family, there isn't anyone that likes being a regular guy more than me. So, you know, so you're sort of forced to, you know, know that everyone's watching your every move when you're in front of it, you know, and, and being the leader of the team. So you've, you've got to project it. And, and I was aware of that, but when I didn't have to, I'm the first one that's it's going to relax and, and just be a regular guy. And I tell a story in the book. I got, I got home from recruiting after a week being gone, and my five-year-old son, Isaac, opens the door. I, I didn't have my key uh, to get in the house, so I knocked on the front door. I opened the door, and he looks at me in my coaching uniform. I've been out recruiting, and he yells inside to the house. The rest of the kids and my wife are in eating, eating dinner. And he yells inside. And he says, "Hey, everybody! Bob Stoops is here." <laughs> what was what was that? So anyhow, what was that like trying to and, balance that? You know, balance your family, but at the same time, you know, you're you're a head coach overseeing all these different personalities by day, traveling to find new personalities to bring in. How do you balance something like that as a coach? Well, it's uh, you, you just do. I've always, uh, you know, I started every day. Uh, while my kids were in grade school or even preschool to grade school to up until they could drive, I took them to school every day, uh, even through the fall, every single day, I take them all to school and, uh, start my meetings after that. Cause I, I wanted them to know the most important part of the day is getting them started in a good way. 
and spend some time with them in the car. And, um, you know, so that was important to me. And, and, and I always made sure my staff even understood that your, your wives, your children could come up here, see you, whatever time of day it is, they need something. Don't ever hesitate to come up here, even if you need to interrupt a meeting. I mean, we've had meetings before where a child would be sitting on one of the coaches' laps because a, a, a mother might have, his wife might have got stuck somewhere or, you know, couldn't have, needed needed some help, and it's not a big deal. You know, in my eyes, we're all professionals. We can concentrate, concentrate through a child being in a meeting room. You know, so we always had family dinners every Wednesday or every other Wednesday where all the wives and children would come up and we'd all eat together. And, and when you do that, our kids get to be around each other so much and the other spouses, it becomes like you're a, like cousins and, and like you're, you're kind of like you, meaning you're really like family. And the kids start to know each other that way. You know, it's kind of like we're, we're all going through the same thing, trying to win a game, and we're all the ones who have to fight and do it. In addition to you being, taking on a new career as an author, um, you've also decided to take on an, a career in the XFL, the league that's starting next year with Vince McMahon. Um, how did you decide to take on that opportunity, and, and who did you lean on, if you did, for advice on, on to go, going that route? Well, the only one I'd lean on would be my wife, and uh, she thought, you know, after really researching it, it, it really fit us. I saw Coach Spurrier, and we're close, you know, and close friends, and I watched him. I went down to watch him in his lead-up to the season uh, in the AAF, and he was enjoying it, thought he was, you know, really uh, loving what he was doing. So that, I knew it was a good thing. And then, you know, I, I trusted the leadership uh, with uh, Oliver Luck and, and our, our president, Jeffrey Pollock, and, you know, owner Vince McMahon. They, they got a you know, vision for exciting, fun football that people are used to watching. Uh, maybe with some twists, with some rules that are, you know, that we think will be be really good without changing the game. Uh, so anyhow, just uh, a lot of it added up. We've got great TV contracts with national broadcasts on ESPN, ABC, and Fox. So I, I, we've taken a really good time to get it right, I, I believe, in the lead up. You got Hal Mummy there with you. Something tells me we're going to see a little bit of offense from your team again. I, I believe so. You know, it's uh, you know, I, I hired Mike Leach away from Hal Mummy when they were at Kentucky for my first offensive coordinator in '99, and Mike Leach brought the air raid, you know, the wide open spread offense to to Oklahoma in that year back in '99. Now you see, you see almost everybody, not everybody, but you see, you sure see a lot of it. You know, when you look around the country, are you excited by the creativity you see in offenses around the country, regardless of what league it's in? It's, it just seems like there's more out there each week that people are trying. Oh, no question. It's exciting. It's fun. Um, it's really challenging for the defenses anymore as well. Uh, the better and, and, and the more spread out and in, in, in the execution of some of the offenses. So, let me ask you a question. How, how, what made you decide to write a book? You know, a uh, couple of things. First, I'm constantly asked, even from business people, how did we change the culture at Oklahoma so fast? You know, from no championships to year in and year out, winning the national championship in our second year. And then we, we how did you re, remain so consistent for these last 20 years? 
where we've been in and out, you know, in the championship discussion a lot, you know, we, we won one national championship, played for three others. We've been in the playoffs. We've won 12 Big 12 championships here in the last, uh, you know, 19 years. So how have you remained so consistent? So there's a lot of the philosophy of what we, how we built it so fast and how we've maintained it in such good condition and what our philosophy and what our, you know, what our attitude is, what we find important and how we relate to our players. And, uh, and the other reason was my path. So many times people will ask me, how did you become the head coach? Like, I want to be a head coach someday, or I want to be the head of this company. You know, how did you do it? And, and that, there's no way to say the, these things in, you know, a five minute conversation. So I figured why not lay out the path and, and lay out what our philosophies were, you know, building the program. Well, we really... Plus, in- plus I had the time, I guess, too. Well, it doesn't seem like you're going to have much time coming up now in Dallas. We wish you the best of luck. Even we, though he's coaching in Dallas. Really, even though you're coaching in Dallas, we still want to <laughs> give, give you some, some good luck there. Um, encourage people to go out and get the book, No Excuses, The Making of a Head Coach. And thanks so much for the time, Coach. Appreciate all the stories. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me today. You have a great one. Jeff, if people want to learn how to be a coach, that's somebody that you'd want to learn from. I was really impressed by him. You know, I, I'm not a big Oklahoma fan, never was, um, but he, he impressed me as a guy that, you know, as, as somebody who has a kid who's about to be college age, if he was somebody that was playing football or playing a sport, Bob Stoops I could see coming into my living room and impressing me and saying, this is the kind of guy that I want my kid to learn under. And he definitely, I mean, the passion that he has for that game comes through from his time as a child, to his time as a student athlete, to his time as a, a student coach, to his time as a head coach, to his time now as a head coach and general manager. Uh, you, you can just see it. All right. Well, since we have college football on the brain, I think we, we, we owe it to ourselves, even if we bore everybody else, to talk about our game this weekend. Well, I expect my team to suck. What's your excuse? Oh, they suck. <laughs> Michigan is really struggling. Uh, but, they uh, lost to Wisconsin last week. Bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not even. It was worse than it looked. Rutgers uh, lost to Boston College last week. Bad. Yeah. Uh, what is going to happen this week, Jeff? At the I don't know. So, see, for utility Rut- bowl for for <laughs> for Rutgers is the goal to make sure the offensive lineman doesn't punch its own quarterback in the face this week. It what is. What was that guy? Just out of curiosity, as as a Rutgers guy. What what was the guy thinking? Well, because it because it looked like he just palmed. Here's the thing: smacked him in the face. We don't celebrate much, so we haven't had a lot of practice. So <laughs> I mean, like, how is swinging your hand at the quarterback's head a good idea? I'm just saying we set the bar low. So yeah. this week, all we have to do is not punch each other is in there, the face. Is there so we... any hope for anybody playing quarterback other than Sitkowski the rest of the season? because he can't be the best. I've been an alum for over 20 years now. Right. And the same question has been asked since I was an for every since quarterback. I was an undergrad. Yeah. Okay. The only time that they ever had an issue where they they made it okay was when Shiano was the coach. Right. Other than that, well, no. None well, of Ray, this Ray Lucas me. was before Shiano. That was wasn't before it? me. Ray Lucas was a player uh, right before I got right. there, like '95. Yeah, and Brian Forte. Yeah, I got there in '97 when right. they gave away hot dogs and buses and tickets to get you to go to the game, and still nobody went. Do they do that now? 
I don't know. I don't go back to the games. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a pretty cool stadium to see. It is. Game. It's a fun stadium. I mean, the, it was until, fun for me the last time I was there. It was seventy-seven to nothing. It's a fun stadium but. until they kick off, unless they're winning. Because <laughs> if they're winning, then they'll set off the cannon and it'll be cool. Uh-huh. But if they're not, it's just sad. <laughs> so, uh, what other games this week jumped out at you on the college football schedule? That got your attention in the top 25. Ohio State, Nebraska, since it's at Nebraska, could actually be an interesting game. You just look for any game that you can root against Ohio State, don't you? Yeah, well, it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame is playing at Virginia. I don't know how Virginia is ranked. That seems like an odd game. Penn State at Maryland, good game. Maryland's actually decent this year and Penn State this will give them a chance to see how they'll do on the road I mean there's actually some decent games how on is the Michigan still ranked by the way they shouldn't be I'll be the first one to tell you after last week they should not be Shea Patterson is not the answer quarterback I don't care how, what how many stars he had coming out of high school Does Harbaugh survive no I don't I, I think that that Harbaugh now in fairness you've never yeah. really been the most pro Harbaugh coach I'm not. I'm not you an anti-Harbaugh. Anti, I, I think he's different. done something for the program, and I'm also one of those guys that believes in education. And, and he is a guy who who pushes education. He 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 believes in the student athlete, but is as a strictly coach, he is. You know, he came across as this maverick. You know, this crazy guy who's got all these great ideas, and he's not. He's incredibly conservative. And and is that the, a product of his quarterback, or does he just not have the pieces there to be what he was with Andrew Oh, he's, he's, he has a stable of quarterbacks. There are guys that if they go to other, if they went to other programs and were allowed to just unload would be really good. I mean, the, Dylan McCaffrey's brother is there. And, Christian and, McCaffrey's brother is Dylan McCaffrey. Uh, yeah. That's right. I'm yeah. sorry. There's so many McCaffreys and it's Ed McCaffrey's so, son. And, okay. And, so and, since you did that, yeah. can I give a pet peeve of mine? Yeah. I hate when we screw things up on the radio yeah. and I only hear it on the playback. So right. like I don't catch myself when we're doing it, but then I listen back. So you want to like, point it out three times? No, not particularly. Oh. But I'm just saying it annoys me when I do that, and then yeah. I listen back, and it's like, oh, I knew this. So that you want to have like a segment at the end where we just like go through all the screw ups we that we make? Up. That's a lot to track. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think we, people would be we, glad to do it for us. We, and maybe just kind of intern just to track. Tweet our mistakes. it in. Um, uh, Washington against USC. That should be a big game out in the Pac-10. Well, you know what the big part of it is? It's actually on during the day. It is. The, the problem Which is with important the, for with the Pac-10. The, the Pac-12. Pac-12. See, yes. there you go. Okay. But But the thing about the Pac-12 is nobody other than people on the West Coast watch the Pac-12. That's, that's I do. There are good teams in the Pac-12, but the problem is, is they play their games at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Iowa's playing Middle Tennessee. Do you think they're going to have trouble with that? No. Uh, any other games of interest that you see on the college schedule before we move on? No, to so let's let's take a couple minutes to to go through the end of the Philly season. That's all we have is a couple <laughs> minutes. So are we going Phillies or Union? Phillies. Because the Union are much more exciting to talk about. Nationals completed a five-game sweep, marking the oh. first time since 1979 that the Phillies were swept in a five-game series. Uh, they were 3-8 and eight on that a road trip that brutal. started with two wins. Are now seventy nine and eighty with three games to go against the did Marlins. Any, but did anybody? And come on, with this team, did anybody actually think that they would be struggling to get to five hundred? They have to go two and one against the Marlins at home, this which weekend. is a struggle for them. The way yeah. that they played, I think they're uh-huh. seven and with, nine with this that pitching staff. Them. But they have Brad Miller. There's going to be a lot of questions that are asked when this season's over, from the management uh, in the executive office to the management on the field to the coaching at positions to the players that are there. 
Gabe Kapler stay or go? If I had my say, he would go. I would. I don't be- know. I, I don't. I don't know if Clintac. Clintac's very stubborn, right. and I don't know if he's going to be willing to just say, "Okay, we got to cut it here." It, it's clear he did not make the team better. I'm going to make your blood boil. Reese oh, Hoskins, no. stay or go? Uh, see, this is ridiculous. That's you not, don't like the that is not cool to do that at the end of the show. Reese Hoskins is going to. I go. think it's ridiculous. Anybody, the Phillies screwed him up. He was he was the anchor of this team. I saved this and, just for the end. It is it is so annoying to me that they if they trade him after they messed him up. This this was strictly bad coaching. It's that simple. The way putting in his head that he had to take this many pitches and then putting him at the top of the lineup and telling that a home run hitter he's got to walk and then doing all of this and now saying, well, now we got to get rid of him. No, let him go back to what he does best. And I think that if he spends the offseason with Charlie, he'll be okay. Charlie going to be back. I, Charlie will stay with the organization. I don't know if he's going to want to stay full time as an, an assistant coach. He's not going to be the manager. I don't think he wants to be the manager. But but the, look, we had a chance to talk to him in Reading this year. He loves baseball. He's a baseball lifer. He, he, he has a passion for that more than most people have a passion for anything in life. Last minute extra time, Jeff. Huge win. I know you stayed up for the game that started I Wednesday night at 11 p.m. <sighs> and went. And, and you had to stay up for the whole thing because they scored those two goals late. And then in the 90th minute, somehow they did not get a penalty called, <laughs> which was definitely <laughs> a penalty, but I'll take it. Uh, Bedoya and Shabilko with the goals to give them a 2-1 to one win. Shabilko's had a hell of a season, hasn't he? Uh, absolutely. With Atlanta United's loss to New York uh, City FC, the Union are in second place now. They do have the chance with a win to stay in second place and avoid a second-round trip to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which would be really big to be able to do that. Uh, brutal, Although I'd like to go there, of course you would. Brutal, brutal, stre- brutal stretch. <laughs> all you care about is free soda. <laughs> brutal stretch of three games in eight days comes to an end Sunday in Columbus. Uh, they play the eleventh place crew in their second last match of the See, season. See, this is where you can't have the letdown. It's the end of a, a short road trip. I mean, long road trip, but three games. I think they need to make sure that they get this game and don't have that letdown before they come back home to Talon Energy. That's going to be the last thought. We'll look for a win. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.